Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Boy, we have an exciting lesson for you tonight. Although they're all exciting to me. I tell Jane all the time that I think I think I just preached the best one yet. And she goes, oh honey. Well, every time I feel this movement of the Holy Spirit within my soul before our services actually start, I can always tell that there is a special particular message that the Holy Spirit wants to deliver to someone in the world. And I am not the kind of preacher that believes that it needs to be a great number of people. I am the type of preacher that many, if not most preachers believe, and that is if one soul is touched and transformed and challenged by the Holy Spirit, a great and mighty work has taken place. That was the case when we just finished our series on betrayal. I was contacted by our representative in Kenya. He's in a community outside of Nairobi, and I know he is listening, because of how he runs his church services there in his training center for pastors. He is now starting this week, taking his many people through the betrayal series that had such a major impact on his own life that he is now doing a combination of sharing the podcast with his people and he will be teaching it live to his students, his pastors in the school. That's very exciting to me to hear one person who had their lives transformed by one of our series because I know many others are going to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a topical teacher. Now, I know there's a lot of preachers listening and teachers probably listening that believes that the Holy Spirit is into topics. In fact, if you go through our podcast list, you say, well, he speaketh with forketh tongue. He's got a lot of topics that he teaches and preaches on. No, I don't. I basically have one simple message that I like to teach and preach. I take that one single message and I pour it into a cultural issue. That cultural issue is what ministers to people initially. So when they hear the term gossip or they hear the term betrayal, it immediately captures their attention like the hook on the end of a fishing line. What a preacher does with that hook once he snags someone is really, really critical. 
So we have to reel them in. And as we're reeling them in, we have to ask ourselves as teachers, what is the foundational teaching that we want to give this person, this fish that's on the hook? Here is the foundational teaching principles that I want to feed that person once they're reeled in. So my primary objective is to equip individuals through the believer's, indwell believer's identity in Christ. All based on the message of identification with Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension. Now here's what that means, listener. This is identifying with what is true about Jesus Christ and what he had to go through to secure his own identity in the Father. He had to experience death. And yes, he had to experience death to self. He had to put to death the old identity. He had to put to death the old man. He had to put to death the old nature. He had to put to death the old ways for all of mankind. But I'm afraid there's a little bit of a glitch here. Salvation is not for everyone. Salvation is offered to the entire world, past, present, and future. But I'm afraid the everyone does not accept it. Does he want the message of the gospel to reach the entire world? Does he want the entire world to know about his Abba's love? Does he want the entire world to know that he is the pathway to salvation? That he is the pathway to a new life, a new earth, a new future, a new past? Of course he does. But see, anyone who's got power over the past and power over the present and power over the future is able to decide if you, Aaron, are going to receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ at four years of age, 40 years of age, 80 years of age, or not at all. It's called a sovereign God who knows all things, past, present, and future. If you took 100% of every human that was ever born, get this. Now, my Hebrew teachers totally get this, and I thank you for the reinforcement that I get from some of you. When you hear some of the Hebrew stuff and you do send these responses by saying, I never quite looked at it that way, but you're right on. You see, Hebrew is the language, the first language that the father, Abba Father, gave and demonstrated to Adam and Eve. That Hebrew language was based on pictures, which is based on the human mind. Identity comes from imagery. When we were created in the image of God, we were created in the image or the identity of God, the Father, God, the Son, 
and then God the Holy Spirit. Identity is absolutely everything. I don't just want identity in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God forbid. I want my identity in his death. I want my identity in my death. I want my identity in his burial. I want my identity in my burial, that the old self has been buried. I want my identity in his resurrection. I want my identity in my resurrection, that I was raised up. I was taken out of that tomb, that dark cave, where all the Adamic things were written on the walls of that tomb. That the enemy is so quick to take me on a little tour, sometimes at two in the morning and sometimes at two in the afternoon. He takes me on a tour of the tomb. Just to trip me up to see if I'm going to sit there and pout and go into the worst form of punishment known to mankind. Listen very carefully. The worst kind of punishment known to mankind is silence. Hell is going to be filled with silence, isolation, loneliness. All that comes from not being able to see the image of the living God anymore. Your average unsaved person can actually look into creation and see God. The average person can look in the world today, in people's lives, and actually see God. And it does not mean they're going to accept God. But they're going to have the privilege, temporarily, to see Him. That will cease. The definition of hell is the refusal to see the image of God forever. My identity is in death. My identity is in the burial. My identity is in resurrection. And my identity is in the ascension. If you just cling to one of those, your theology is going to be off. Identity is packed in to all of those. Therefore, my passion is to deliver this message to a worldwide audience by making use of the internet live presentations, writings, podcasting, and through the effective use of media. Just today, we were able to put out a notice that my latest book, which is called The Father, Authority of the Trinity, Refuting a New Kind of Christianity. Long title, but it needs one. This is the book that I have been working on for over seven years. It's a full cultural study on the identity that has been lost in our culture today. I already receive rejection patterns from people who say, why are you always picking on the millennials? I'm going to tell you right now if you'll listen. I believe the millennials are going to kick off the last generation known to mankind. Now, I don't know that for sure. Some call me a prophet, but I'll tell you the only prophet I know is Jesus Christ. 
But I believe that the, the Z generation is going to be the most dangerous generation on the face of the earth that we have ever seen when it comes to theology. So whether generations are spread out over 100 years or 200 years or it's just 40 years, that's none of my business with God. My business is, is to warn people of what the scriptures say about a lost generation. And I doubt there's going to be many of you preachers that are going to disagree with me that every generation we are becoming more and more rebellious and detached from God the Father. Once that full detachment occurs, Satan's going to step up and he's going to take charge of this world as a daddy, as a father. He will then represent one of his triunes as Jesus Christ. So what religion should he name his religion? I have my doubts he's going to pick a religion that doesn't align itself with the name Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am of firm belief that the world religion will be called Christians. Last week we talked about, in our series, Oh My God, My Child is a Millennialist, the dilemma of this generation I was just referring to. We started addressing this topic in probably a very painful way if you are the type of adult who is trying to balance looking, sounding like a millennial, while at the same time trying to be a responsible parent or grandparent. I have seen and you know individuals who are actually grandparents and they dress and act like they're millennials. You say, what's wrong with that? It's just staying up with the modern fashions. Really? I don't enjoy looking like Satan. I don't enjoy integrating that look into my Christianity. When you take darkness and you, you make it fashionable, you start tattooing your body and you start wearing dark things and you start looking like that subculture, it begins to bring confusion to the children that are watching you. When men started growing their hair out and there started to be this movement called the rock movement, and I was one of them, had the hair down to the middle of my back, most kids couldn't tell if I was a girl or if I was a boy. It's how it works. This is what has happened with our cultures. They are being blended into a melting pot. You see a little bit of grandma, a little bit of grandpa, a little bit of the Zers, a little bit of the... And you see such a mixture of imagery that the identity of the children has become lost. So can you imagine a little Zer becoming about 30 years of age? And you ask them what Christianity is. I'm embarrassed by some quote-unquote Christians who give me definitions of Christianity that are nowhere close to the scriptures. Nowhere close. Then they have formed their own scriptures and beliefs around this graven imagery that they have put together called Christianity. Christianity. 
Now, can you imagine now Azir, 30 years of age, and you asking them, could you please tell me what Christianity is? I believe it's going to be very difficult for you to get a straight answer at that point in our culture. We also talked about the importance of sticking to pictorial Hebrew as we begin to define our terms. I'm going to give you in a few weeks, I'm going to give you definitions to over 30 classifications of godly parenting from the scriptures. For example, starting at A, what is abundant life parenting? And then we go to the next one, and then the next one. By the time we're done, it's going to take us several weeks to get through that little dictionary I have put together for parents you are going to have an absolutely clear understanding of what Christ's life parenting is. It's critical. I realized as I was doing my study more and more each week that the definitions of parenting is even getting lost. It's become more of a millennial behavioral modification. You're finding two types of parents that are wandering around out there. One type of parent is just letting their kid do whatever they want. My wife and I were sitting in Wichita getting ready to have some blood taken out of us, and there was a mother there with her child. And guess what the first thing was that that mother did to keep her child from being too noisy? So the mother hands this phone to the child, and the child's going through whatever it is that she had brought up on this phone. That is our Zers. Now I'm going to say this is about as plain as I can say it. If you're raising your child and using your tablet and your cell phone as a nanny, you're in serious trouble. But that is what's happening, and it is what is going to continue to happen. So as a sociologist type of researcher, I like to look at what is that kid going to look like at 30. Now I'm 62, and I've lived through three generations. What I mean by that is there's a generation that's overlapping into your generation. There's a generation overlapping into this next generation. We'll probably even get the privilege of seeing one more overlap in. My job as a Christian, a well-studied Christian, is to carefully study those cultures and the people, particularly the parents, that are represented within that culture and bring them back to the sturdiness of the Word of God, the sounding board of life, and compare their obscene behaviors up against an unshakable, immovable, solid rock called the Word of God. That's what we need to do. Before we move on, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Conform to His Image. This is by Oswald Chambers, and the reason why I wanted to recommend this particular book now is because we are going to take 
our series and start moving into imagery. You see, when that smartphone was passed to that child, there was only one thing capturing that child's attention because it certainly wasn't the audio. With my new hearing aid, I can listen to people moving their feet on carpet. It wasn't the audio. What was it? The pictures. The pictures captivate the brain so that the message can be delivered. This is what Oswald Chambers is basically writing on. The image of the living God and setting our minds and our focus upon the image of God and be passionate about being conformed to his image. It's a great book. You can be able to link to this by going on our website. Just click on the store button. Scroll down until you see conformed to his image. Okay, let's take a look at our scripture for today. Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 24. So in Genesis chapter 9, 18 through 24, we're going to discover something that changed the entire human race. Just to give you a very quick review, this is from Adam and Eve all the way up to Noah. There was a series of generations that turned very, very dark. The first thing that we noticed after Eve was deceived and then Adam was deceived, one of the first thing that we noticed was a family problem. And in this family problem, we had one of the brothers get a little jealous. Jealousy is a killer. Jealousy not only kills you, jealousy sets a precedent into demonic imagery. And when this brother became jealous, we don't know the details completely of what he was jealous of. It wasn't just the offering. It could have been the favoring issue. We don't know. But we know jealousy took over Cain's heart. And he rose up against his brother. Brother being 100% clueless about what was going on. And he grabbed the first weapon he possibly could get his hands on and he killed him. So now what we have here is a whole motion of evil and graven imagery that set forth into this brand new world. Now, if I was God, I just would have nuked him right on the spot and let Seth pick it up from there and develop a righteous generation. We wouldn't have this mess. We wouldn't need a Noah. But that's not what God decided to do. God decided to use it for a very distinct reason. So he sent Cain off to the east. And after he was sent off to the east, rumor has it that Cain was the very first one that started Metroplexus. He was the one that was, became the father of cities. The more people you gather together in one place, the more opportunities you have of immorality. 
and this began to take over and spread like cancer. Such cancer that there was only a red thread of righteous mommies and daddies and children that were creating this red thread all the way to Noah. Everyone else pretty much got sucked into this dark imagery. We don't know exactly what happened during those years, but we do know enough that the demons and the humans interacted with each other and horrible things began to take place physiologically, psychologically, and spiritually. The world became so dark and depraved it ended up into this moment where there was only one man, his three sons, and each of their wives. And God gave them a mission to build a boat. I can't even fathom the rejection that he suffered in building this boat. But he built this boat and fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. And sure enough, it started to rain a lot. And this big, massive boat ended up floating. And it rained and it rained and it rained and basically God purified the earth of uh, all of its demonic beings and human beings. And what I mean by demonic beings, I just happen to be one of those believers that believe that dinosaurs are a result of the interaction that took place between the demonic world and the beast of the field. Or else why would God have gotten rid of them? But I'm only guessing. Yes, 602-292-2982. But he rid the earth of anything that was a result of this graven imagery. And then the waters began to descend and the ark settled in Turkey the families let all the animals out. They, they got out and they started to set up camp. And after this unbelievable journey of victory, Noah decides he's going to get drunk. Now this is after he planted, you know, grapes or a vineyard to get grapes. And, you know, this took a little while. But boy, did he enjoy the fruit of his labor. And he became drunk. That isn't even the sin that the scriptures speak of that brought shame. It was the nakedness. So here is our situation in front of us. Noah's sin reminds us how weak that men are. Keep in mind, after seeing many years of victory, of literally knowing you were preserved by the living God to be the reset button for God. And here we have this situation now in front of us. So even the best of men liable to fall, even after the most marvelous deliverances, which is the time most failures occur. 
Why would failure have to occur before success? That's ridiculous. You see, failures have to be thrown upon you and thrusted upon you after the victory so that you cannot enjoy the victory because if you enjoy the victory, you're going to become a victorious Christian person. The love of the strong drink will drag a preacher of righteousness into a cave of despair. But if our father or fathers sin, let us not parade or tell their faults, as in the case of Ham, but cover them with the mantle of divine love. You know the verse in the New Testament where it says, for love covers a a multitude of sins. That is a direct reference from this passage. We may despise the sin, but let us restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, remembering that we also may be tempted. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 18. Honor should always rule over disclosure of sin. Society-wise, culturally-wise, it's my experience after being in ministry my entire adult life that this is the sin that destroys culture. I'll repeat that. This is the sin that destroys a culture. And that is removing honor and disclosing the leader's sin. And this Sin that occurred with Ham literally changed all of humanity. Let's take a look at it. Our next slide shows us the best way to illustrate this point of honor is by looking at the details of the story of Noah and his boys. Ham, the founder of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders, both of them, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. You see, that was the priority. The priority wasn't having a confrontation with Ham outside the tent. Oh my God! What have you done? You see, that wasn't their job to confront. That was the father's job. Their job was to cover their father with honor. So they backed in and they took this this garment, which I shared with you in a previous teaching, that this garment from, from the Hebrew is the exact same word that's used for remnant. This was the remnant of Israel that was being backed in and laid over the reset button for humanity. They were preserving you being able to sit tonight and listen to this message. Or any preacher that you are listening to, or any Christian worship service you go to, you have that privilege because these two brothers demonstrated honor and preserved their father. 
And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. So also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. You have no idea, unless you're a Bible scholar, or even a wannabe Bible scholar, you have no idea what this passage means. This passage is disclosing to us something so significant about the news you're going to hear tomorrow. This servant, ordered by his father, was written on the tablets of the generations. This wasn't some angry father just shouting something out because he got caught but naked. This is not that. This was a precedent that was going to be set, that was going to ignite a war between one brother against two brothers. And I'm going to show you a map of that in a few moments. But first, let's take a look at this idea of reporting sin. Ham saw his father's nakedness, sin, and reported it to his brothers. So why is it a sin for Ham to report to his brothers his father's nakedness? I want you to think about something. We just took you through an incredible series on gossip that created more responses for us as a very small ministry. It created more responses than anything we've ever written about or any of our 30 authors have written about. Not because of the writer, not because of the speaker, but because of the topic. And if you've listened to those podcasts, and if you have not, I certainly encourage you to do so. It is packed with the permanence of gossip. When gossip rolls out of your mouth, it is generational. The Jews believe this strictly. I do too. That activates betrayal. Betrayal is the action that comes from a gossiper. Now I'm going to tie all of this in for you between these three brothers. Noah was setting the end times in motion. There is nothing any theologian can do to try to change that. It is permanent. And all of you grace people that are trying to grace Ham today, you might want to give that one up. Because the descendants of Ham are the ones that are going to refuse to be servants to these two brothers, and they're going to do some very bizarre things resulting from it. People who refuse to be servants become violent. I'm going to say that one more time. People who refuse to become servants become violent. Some of the most violent people in the world today are peacekeepers. These peacekeepers have issues like anti-slavery, 
And it starts there and grows from there. The resistance to be someone's servant sets off a whole pattern of violence, spiritually, psychologically, and physically. So what in the world was Ham thinking? You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.